before we get going, here's the bit where I remind you that nothing we discussed should be considered as investment advice. This conversation is for informational and hopefully entertainment purposes only. So while we hope you find it both informative and entertaining, please do your own research or speak to a financial advisor before putting a dime of your money into these crazy markets. You're about to listen to a special preview edition of Shifts Happen, featuring my co-host, Luke Grumman, and our very special guest, Josh Crum of Avax Technologies. Josh is a mining engineer by background, and he has a real-world experience of creating systems to facilitate settlement of commodities. And so with talk of a BRICS gold-backed currency swirling around more aggressively every day, it seemed like the perfect time to have Josh join Luke and me to discuss the recent escalation in noise and to try and find out what it all means. Every episode of the Grant Williams podcast, including The Endgame, The Super Terrific Happy Hour, The Narrative Game, This Week in Doom, Shifts Happen, and the new series Chaos Theory is available to copper and silver tier subscribers at my website, grant-williams.com. Copper tier subscribers get access to all the podcasts, while members of the silver tier get both the podcasts and my monthly newsletter, Things That Make You Go Hmm. So, if you enjoy what you hear on the show and you want more high-quality content like it, then please make your way over to grant-williams.com and join our exciting community today. And now, on with the show. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of Shifts Happen. Joining me, my co-host, the man himself, the man who puts the E in Cleveland, Luke Grumman. Hi, mate. How are you? <laughs> I'm doing great. How are you? It's uh, it is actually the the best time of year here. So everybody's in a good mood. It's uh, 75 to 85 every day. Most days the Canadians are not sending the smoke down to us, so that's uh, that's kind. So you know, it's uh, things are good. How are you, my friend? Excellent. I will. I will. I've, I've been I've been playing Granddad in London with my grandkids, which has been absolutely phenomenal. I'm excited to get a chance to exercise my brain and not my weary body for a, for a while, running and chasing around the garden. <laughs> thanks, thanks for thanks for a welcome respite. I have to say, well, listen, mate, we've got a guest with us this week, which I'm delighted to say, a mutual friend of ours who both of us have known for a while and who is. Um, in my mind, one of the best thinkers in this space. He's been and done many, many things, which I'm going to get him to give us a brief recap on before we get into this for anyone who's not familiar with him. But um, why don't we just go ahead and welcome our special guest, Josh Crum. Josh, come on in, mate. Where are you? Hey, Grant. Hey, Luke. Good to be here. Thanks. Great to have you, my friend. It really is. You, know, you and I bumped into each other in Memphis a month or so ago and, um, as always, had a fantastic chat and you always leave me with so much to think about, so thanks for that. It's like I, I don't have enough to occupy my mind without getting injected with some pure Josh Crumb. But before we get into that and the, the world around us, which you know, Luke and I have been trying to piece together for a while now, it just seems to be getting harder to do every day given all the moves. For anybody who's not as familiar with your work as we are, just give us a potted background of what you've done and, and I guess more importantly for this conversation and for you, obviously, what you're doing right now. Sounds good. Uh, so I'm uh, just very, very quick background because I think it'll help some of my biases and thinking and, and what I've been building. I'm actually a mining engineer by background, but I uh, got into the macro side of things uh, after working in M&A in the mining and natural resource space You know, from the upstream side of the business. I went over to Goldman Sachs uh, where I was the head of metals research and strategy, uh, working with Jeff Curry and, and Jim O'Neill during the, the BRICS era and thinking about the macro side. But as well as that, also our day-to-day business, of course, was working with 
particularly natural resource companies in their hedging and risk management programs. Uh, so really got to understand the infrastructure and the trading of metals markets, uh, in particular the sector that I covered. So I guess, you know, where hopefully I can add some value to this conversation is that kind of, the, you know, taking the macro to the actual systems and markets and the infrastructure for trading it. Maybe it's two other uh, important points of background that might be relevant for this conversation. You know, after I left Goldman, call it at the end of the last uh, commodity cycle, I've really been kind of hyper-focused on this actual physical trading infrastructure and where the intersection of kind of commodities and digital, you know, transformation, call it. So where software and technology uh, meets commodities and market infrastructure. And the two pieces, uh, again, I think could be particularly relevant for this conversation. The first piece of that was a physical gold settlement system that I built in my former business, BitGold, or now called uh, Gold Money. So, you know, very specifically focusing on gold settlement and gold uh, liquidity and the systems that are needed to do that at the real infrastructure layer. And that was focused probably a little bit more on the retail gold space is where the direction it went. But over the last four to five years, I've been building a company called Abex. And what we're focused on is really building the physical settlement infrastructure for global commodities. You know, what we've been building is our view is, you know, really after, call it uh, two decades of consolidation and digitization, financialization, the commodity markets, we believe that the wholesale infrastructure for trading commodities has really lost touch with some of the physical markets. And so what we're looking at is new benchmarks for particularly growth important commodities uh, like liquefied natural gas, like battery metals, and building new benchmarks out of the physical settlement infrastructure. So again, as, as a summary, you know, I'm an engineer that has uh, really been focused on building things and particularly building physical settlement infrastructure and commodities. Perfect, perfect, perfect. Well, just listen, let me ask you what seems like a very basic question, but it's one that you're uniquely qualified to explain to people. And I think a lot of people take this stuff for granted. When we talk about physical settlement of commodities, it sounds like such a, a simple phrase and it sounds like such a simple thing, but it isn't. So, so can you just give us a sense of the complexity involved in setting something like that up to just help people understand that it's not as straightforward. Because I think when we get into time horizons for all this stuff, it's important to understand what needs to be done here. Yeah. So I think the most important part about the global commodity supply chain is that by nature, it's international. Unlike a security, which can be very sort of sovereign ring-fenced, you know, here's the laws, here's the rules of one jurisdiction. Commodities have always been this kind of international game theory of negotiating different sovereign boundaries and the rules and risks for crossing those boundaries. And so when we talk about currency markets, we talk about settlement markets, commodities have always kind of been negotiating those movements and, and the risk management between different sovereign, you know, legal and or, or political environments. And so that naturally, you know, very much like the FX market will always have a lot of complexities. But when we think about benchmarks and, and trading, this is really about how you price a commodity. And, you know, there's, of course, the academic view of a, a commodity pricing, you know, where marginal cost and marginal demand meets marginal supply. But the realities of these markets, of course, is that that's often very messy and your data is not perfect. So the role of an exchange or the role of market infrastructure is try to bring as much information, how much information can we bring to the market to get that true price assessment? So market infrastructure is all about trying to create transparency and information. But then the physical settlement component as well, you know, it's not just a simple case of 
hey, you know, I'm going to give you some money and I'll send you some gold or you're going to send me some gold. Again, particularly with reference to gold, because that's, I suspect, going to be a focus of what we're going to talk about in the next little while while we're together. So to give us a sense as well of the hurdles in place to creating a trusted, safe and secure settlement means for physical gold. Yeah, well, you know, sometimes maybe you have to step back to look at some of those sort of mafia movies where the guy shows up with some cash and somebody else has the goods. Are the goods really there? Is the cash really there? Again, and particularly when you're dealing with uh, multiple sovereign jurisdictions and, and trust could be low or or you're working almost on two sets of rules, it's very, very important to have a framework for how you do that delivery versus settlement. What are your prices? And do we pay a little bit beforehand and then pay after everything's been measured. So these types of settlement issues have always been trying to work out very much like that simplistic version of a mafia movie. That's exactly what happens in the international commodity trade as well. And of course, there's different rules and payment instructions and measure of commodity instructions that all needs to happen so people can trust each other in what's called settlement finality. Perfect. With that as background, there has been so much talk in recent weeks of this new BRICS currency. And this is something, Luke, you and I have kicked backwards and forwards for some time now about what the BRICS nations are going to do to try and um, change the structure of these markets that have been proven, particularly by those Treasury actions in terms of sanctioning Russia, to make it an issue really of national security to try and come up with alternative ways to manage reserves. So, Luke, as you've seen kind of the news flow over the last three or four weeks probably, Give us a sense of where you think we are now with this and, and what the most important moving parts have been, because there's been so many of them. So I, the most important moving parts in my mind are actually not around the conversation that seems to be dominating right now regarding this BRICS currency, which is will they or won't they? Will they do it? Won't they do it? Will they announce it? Won't they announce it? Is the infrastructure there? Is it not there? To me, actually, the most important moving parts are around what is going on in energy markets in particular, which is to say, what's going on with peak cheap energy? What's going on with U.S. shale? What's going on with U.S. strategic petroleum reserve? And then in turn, what that's going to do in the back half of this year for inflation metrics. And so what I mean by that is, if we take a step back, I think there were two big actions we saw at the beginning of last spring when Russia invaded Ukraine, which was the U.S. sanctioned Russian FX reserves. And then the U.S. also took actions that I've equated to which were effectively energy swap lines with our allies, which is to say we ran down our SPR, Strategic Petroleum Reserve, at an unprecedented rate in an attempt to get oil prices down to basically in my view, it was it was a de facto support of the treasury market because what we were watching was a high price of energy drive up other commodities. It was pushing energy importing creditors of the United States into twin deficit positions. They were dumping Japan for a perfect example. Energy prices went up. Japan, when faced with a, a twin deficit driven by energy, they were dumping treasuries to raise dollars to buy energy. The U.S. gets energy prices down. U.S. sanctions Russian FX reserves. All of this succeeds in getting oil prices down to a point. This is where it brings me to where I think is the biggest moving part right now with all of this, which is the U.S.'s gambit was, in essence, get oil prices down and get inflation down and hope Russia breaks before the U.S. banking system breaks and before U.S. shale production begins peaking and rolling over. And the bottom line is that it didn't work. 
The SPR is largely drawn down. We don't know where the bottom on that is, but we've drawn down a lot. The U.S. banking system began straining so much that the Fed had to basically take some actions back in March. U.S. shale production, while still rising, we've seen rig counts, I think, have been dropping for nine straight weeks now. It's just a matter of time until we see shale The full conversation is available to subscribers to the copper and silver tiers of my website, grant-williams.com. Nothing we discussed should be considered as investment advice. This conversation is for informational and hopefully entertainment purposes only. So while we hope you find it both informative and entertaining, please do your own research or speak to a financial advisor before putting a dime of your money into these crazy markets.